So he, he saved six of his fellow rangers on that battlefield that cost him his life. So he has those six lives that he saved. And then he directly saved the people who received his heart, kidneys, and liver. Um, with the donation of bone, skin, and tissue, he enhanced the lives of about 55 more people. Hey everybody, welcome back to the Reclamation Podcast. I am honored and humbled to bring you today's featured conversation with Gold Star Mother Jill Stevenson. Jill lost her son, Army Ranger Ben Cobb, in Afghanistan due to sniper fire, and she shares his story and her story of what it means to overcome adversity, to how to deal with faith in the midst of tragedy, and how to listen to God when your world feels like it's falling apart. I'm so excited for you to listen to this conversation, and I pray and hope that you get as much out of it as I did. As always, the best compliment that you can give us, leave a rating, review, or share the podcast with maybe somebody who's never listened to it before. We'd love to continue to spread the word about what God is doing through the Reclamation Podcast. Without any further ado, here's my conversation with Jill Stevenson. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Reclamation Podcast. I'm excited to bring you today's uh, featured guest, Jill Stevenson, and she's got an incredible story to tell. Jill, how the heck are you? Yeah, I'm doing great, Tony. Thanks for having me on. It is my, it is totally my honor. You hold a, a distinction, which not many people do, and it's uh, both comes with a bunch of honor and a bunch of sorrow. You hold the distinction of being a gold star mom. So thank you so much for your service and and I was really hoping if we could just jump right into your story and and how all this happened absolutely absolutely well the distinction that you're referring to is that of being a gold star mother and a gold star mother is a, a mother of course who's lost an immediate well I'm not gonna say immediate I, I sh let me say this again gold star families become gold star families when we lose an immediate family member to active duty military service. Mm. Prior to that, we're blue star families when our loved ones are actively serving. If they're killed in action, then we become a gold star family. So I am a gold star mother, meaning that my son gave his life um, while actively serving in the military as an army ranger, actually. Which that's a, that's a really elite, that's a really elite school. Um, it's a really elite calling in life. Yes. Um, as a veteran myself, like everyone looks to the Rangers and wonders what happens on the other side of the privacy fence. Uh, yes. but what, what made, what made your son want to be a Ranger? I mean, what brings somebody to that kind of calling? Gosh, well, there's always a story that goes with that. It certainly isn't uh, luck of the draw or, or something that happened, um, came to be by happenstance. Ben uh, was very strongly influenced by my grandfather, his great grandfather, who was a World War II veteran. Wow. I raised Ben as a single mother. He was my only child. And so my grandfather was Ben's strongest male role model. Mm. We grew up spending time at my grandparents' lake home in northern Minnesota. And my, grand, my grandfather had a curio cabinet inside the, the cabin that had his World War II memorabilia in it. It had, wow. his he had a purple heart. It had some things uh, from the Red Bulls. He was a, a Minnesota Red Bull. And some photos. Um, and that's, of, an, that's an Army unit, right? That the is an Army unit. Yeah, the Red Bulls, yeah. Yep. And it's 34th Infantry Division. Is sure. What yep. And Ben started asking questions to his great-grandfather when he was about seven years old. He wanted to know what all that stuff was, and he wanted to hear stories about it. And so my grandfather started telling him, things about the items in the curio cabinet. And as Ben got older, he continued to ask him questions and wanted to know more and more details about what he was telling him. And he grew, he grew curious and not too much longer. He started to speak about joining the army himself. Oh, once it gets in your veins, it's impossible to get out. Yeah. And they started so young and, and it was as he grew to, admire my grandfather more and, and uh, the relationship between them grew. Ben really honestly worshiped the ground that he walked on and he wanted to be just like him. My grandfather recognized that as Ben got to an age, you know, 10, 11, 12 ish, 
where he, he could understand uh, more what my grandfather would say to him about being in the army himself and Ben wanting to join the army. Mm. And my grandfather told Ben that it, it, it really, um, he shouldn't copy what my grandfather did. He said that uh, imitation was not flattery, that you should become what you're meant to become, not what somebody else is. And that one day you'll know what that is because you're going to get a gut feeling and it's going to be something that you're not going to be able to back away from, something that will be very recognizable to you. And so Ben said, okay, great. Well, when I grow up, I want to, I want to join the army just like you. So. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. It's perfect. It's perfect. You know, it's typical seems- middle school boy. Exactly. Exactly. It, it resonated with him. However, you know, it, it, it did, but it didn't change his mind. It didn't yeah. change his mind. Well, in the spring of 2001, uh, my grandfather um, succumbed to cancer. He was sick for off and on for about a year. He had a, a, a small surgery that he just really didn't recover from. And it was the first death that Ben had experienced. Yeah. He, was, he was 13, um, just barely 13, and it absolutely crushed him. It, it, it hurt him so much, he told me that he didn't want to talk about it. And I didn't make him talk about it because he was 13. Sure. 13 year old boys really don't, they kind of speak their own language anyway. That's mumbles. I've got and a 13 year old right now, and it's a series yeah. of grunts and uhs. Yes. Yeah, exactly. So I just let him be. I'm like, no, that's okay. It's probably better that, that you don't speak of it anyhow. So I let him be until five months later when 9 11 happened. Oh, wow. Now, only five months later. And at that point, immediately Ben's sadness turned to anger and he wanted revenge. And as we're watching all of the footage that was on the television, sitting there together, he, he really became uh, this, this fire, like this, this inferno just exploded in his belly. And he said, uh, you know, when, when I grow up again, you know, there it is. Um, I'm going to become an army ranger, find Osama bin Laden and make him pay. Now, do you think, Jill, do you think, and I know you've been in these communities a lot, do you think that, because uh, I've never really thought about it like this before, but um, 9-11 galvanized a generation of soldiers and Marines and airmen and seamen? Without question. Without question. I think of 9-11, Tony, as uh, the date in time, the event in time that sealed my son's fate. It was, there was no turning back when 9-11 happened. He was, he never took his eye off of that. So then to that point, do you, it, does it, uh, what does that spurn inside of you as a, as a date and an event? I mean, I mean obviously it's sad for everyone. Mm-hmm. Does it change, does it change the meaning of the day for you? Absolutely. It does. It, it to me, it's, it's stuck in time just as much as uh, the day that Ben was shot, just mm. as much as the day that Ben died, 9-11 is, is another day on the calendar that my body knows is coming. Oh, wow. It really does. And I, I feel a great sadness on that day um, for all the families that have sacrificed, all the families that have sacrificed since 9-11, since 2001. Um, it, today is actually the 18th anniversary of when, when we first sent troops over there. Oh, after wow. it happened. And so here we are 18 years later and, and, and how many lives have been lost? How many, not, not just the lives that were lost in, in New York and, and in Pennsylvania, um, but in Washington, DC, but the lives have been lost since then for all those 13 year old boys, like my son who decided at that very moment that they wanted to, they wanted vengeance. You know, they, they wanted to, you know, put some skin in the game and, and sign on the dotted line. And, for, for my son, it was personal. He actually yeah. took it personal, and, and he, he felt that 9-11 was a mockery of his great-grandfather's service to America. Wow. And so, you know, here he was feeling so incredibly sad over losing somebody, and, and he'd never experienced the death of anybody prior to that. And, and he had such great honor for this man. And then, you know, we have terrorists that, you know, managed to get in our country and, and uh, murder innocent people. And so it, it absolutely sealed Ben's fate and changed my life, too. So then Ben, ben signs up for, uh, for Ranger, uh, signs on the dotted line for all of it, not just some of it, right? And yes. 
uh, becomes an uh, army ranger as a mom of a soldier who's going through that elite training. Um, what are you thinking about while he's away? Cause th- that training is lengthy. It's not like it's, it's, it's basic training for those that don't know it's basic training. And then it's your AIT, which in infantry school is, you know, continuous. And then if you're good enough, which Ben was, Mm -hmm. um, it's ranger school, which is another 90 days, right? Days, Yeah. 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 What's going through your head as you see your, your son being transformed into this elite soldier? It was, you know, you know what happened um, prior to him becoming a ranger and just going into the military period. Number one, I always supported him. Um, there was uh, there was never a question in my mind or my heart that that's what Ben's purpose was. And so I didn't get in the way of him signing on that dotted line. I knew it was something that he was going to do. And I, I could see I could see that it was it was his purpose. Hmm. Because I raised him as a single mom, my focus for 18 years was on him, 100 percent on him. You know, he, he is he was my life. And as the days got closer of him leaving for basic training, I started to feel really sad um, because it made me take a harder look at who I was. What, you know, who, who's Jill going to be now, now that I won't be Bev's mom. Not that I was losing that role, but I was like, I was full-time taking care of that kid for 18 years and now he was leaving. And I was like, Oh my gosh, what am I going to do? And, and I was, my faith got a lot stronger at that point, Tony. That was a real turning point for my faith at that time because I realized that I was not only turning Ben over fully into God's hands in a way that I had never done before, but it shined the light on me as well that I was also turning myself over to the care of God. And I had not viewed my life that way before. Was there, um, was there a catalytic moment in that part or what, I mean, was it like the day he left for basic training and you and God had this battle mono e mono or t- take us through the practical. Cause, cause I think that there are probably a lot of people right now who are wondering what their next is. Yeah. Uh, you know, it wasn't, there wasn't a certain moment. There were moments that led up to it because, uh, Ben would sit in this computer room. We lived in a three bedroom townhome and our second, the third bedroom was a, a computer room. Mm-hmm. And he would sit in there and, and uh, listen to, he'd be on his MySpace, you know? Oh, yes. MySpace. <laughs> That's excellent. Yes. Listening to music and, and singing. And I would just stand in the doorway and stare at him and, oh, wow. and feel the sadness like, oh my gosh, I can't believe pretty soon he won't be sitting in that chair. And that's when I started to have these conversations with God and have these conversations, you know, with myself, like, what am I going to do? What am I going to do without him? And who, who am I going to be without him here? Yeah. And so it was, it was a gradual turn of what's next. And it got me prepared knowing that he was leaving, helped prepare me for him leaving. Now I was never worried about Ben surviving in an independent sort of a way. He was a very, very independent young man and fully capable of taking care of himself. There was no question about that, but it was the distance that there was going to be between us, the logistics. And then again, the, as the special operations contract became a reality, knowing that he was going to be out of reach and out of touch and in harm's way, that just made my faith have to grow stronger. It, it had to. In hindsight, do you, um, how do you feel the, the differences uh, knowing that he's gone now and when he left the first time? Hmm. I think I was being prepared for it. Yeah. There's no question about it. Yeah, I was definitely being prepared for it. And in some ways, he's closer to me now. Tell me a little bit more about that. He surrounds me. 24 seven spiritually he's with me 24 seven spiritually where when we have people in our lives physically you know when when we're when we're living breathing humans uh, the physical absence is different than a spiritual presence it it, how long did he think it take you to to come i mean that's a mature that's a very mature response as a as a woman who's clearly walked with god and and done the hard work of grieving and and still grieving rightfully so 
Yeah. Um, how, how do you get to that place? I think only by having a strong faith, by having mm -hmm. a strong measure of faith and, and knowing fully where Ben is, knowing fully where, where all of our loved ones go, you know, ho hopefully. Right. <laughs> you know, I have, I have no doubt where Ben is and, and I, I feel him with me all the time and I get signs from him all the time that he's around me. And, the, and it, I mean, can you tell us about one of them? Oh, sure. Well, you know, most people have signs from their loved ones, a physical sign that they attune with their presence and, and it's butterflies, ladybugs, hawks, shooting stars, uh, daisies, roses. I hear cardinals a lot. Cardinals is another very common one. Dragonflies, something, pennies, um, finding coins. My sign from Ben is a moth. Mm. Um, a, a well, moth. Why a moth? Because it's so romantic? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> not a butterfly you know it's definitely a moth and and it was the the day that i came home from ben's funeral in in our hometown in rosemount minnesota there it would was a long long day um with the funeral and then i i hosted a dinner later that evening for a select few people and by the time i got home i was exhausted and the it was dark in the house and i came in and turned on the lights and in the entryway i lived in a, a split level townhome so on, on the wall that went down towards where Ben's room was, there was this white moth. A, a, it was a very small moth, but it was bright, bright white. And, I, and I, it caught my eye, and I walked over to the wall, and I said, you are the brightest, whitest, purest little moth I've ever seen. And it was one of those that it looks um, like if you touch the wings, that it would just turn to dust. Oh, wow. You know, we're fragile like that. And when I reached to touch it, it, it flew toward the light, the mm. overhead light. And I said, oh my gosh, you're one of those light chasers. And I, wow. I put myself back in that moment, seeing it in, in, with, with my own eyes, seeing that happen. And from that moment, I walked up the steps. And as I turned lights on, I turned them off behind me as I, and I went up to my room and that moth followed me. And it landed on the on the wall next to my bed, and it stayed there all night, and it didn't move. When oh, I got man. up in the morning, it was still there. Oh! And I have had thousands of moth stories in the last ten years, and that oh, was the man. very first one. Incredible! Yeah, it's it's some crazy, crazy stories. It's funny how the Holy Spirit just shows up and and can really manifest itself in so many different ways. Oh yeah, yeah I love it. I absolutely love it. So uh, backtracking just a little bit, Ben goes to Ranger School and is super successful. And then um, obviously being a Ranger is a life of rapid deployments. Yes. Um, had he been deployed before uh, how many times or was this his first deployment or how, how, did, how did you come to that, you know, that awful day? He did two deployments um, prior to the, the final deployment. So he had a total of three. Mm. And, uh, the first two were in Iraq and the, the third one was Afghanistan. And after each deployment, uh, how was Ben coming back and how, how was that for you? You know, after the first deployment, he came home and he, he was definitely changed. He, he thought that he got taller. And when he came home, he said, he said, mom, I think I grew. And he said, can we go, can we go measure? And, you know, you have that, that spot on the wall. And for us, it was down in the laundry room. Sure. And, and, and I thought that he looked taller too, because he, he, he carried himself taller. He, he appeared taller, you know, as my grandfather actually taught all of us kids, grandchildren, great grandchildren alike from when we were young to walk confidently that we should always have our chest out shoulders back, chin up. Hmm. And, and Ben learned that as well from me. And it, and it actually became something that he was known for, but I, I digress. Um, however, that was where, you know, his standing tall and proud came from. So he, he came back from this first deployment with this increased confidence. And so we went down the basement and he took off his shoes and socks and I'm standing there, you know, on a step stool because he's about seven inches taller than me. Well, eight, <laughs> nine inches taller than me. Oh, wow. Yeah. And uh, uh, with a pencil and, and I, I'm like, 
sorry, bud. <laughs> you're not taller. You know, you're, you're bigger inside. You're definitely a bigger man now than you were before, but your height hasn't physically changed. So that's incredible. I think that happens for a lot of soldiers. Uh, something about when you live out that mission and purpose in a specific way, it begins to change the way you see the world. It sounds like that was the case for Ben. Absolutely. Absolutely. It was, it was, it was, it was a good fit for him. It really was. And you know, he had, a, he had a fair share of struggles too, after the second deployment coming home and, and uh, that as much as they want to come home and they want to be a part of the civilian world and just relax and be away from the, the, the regiment of the military, it's still difficult because they're not coming back to what they're used to and people aren't warm to it. It's so hard for people to understand that it's when you're a soldier and you leave for deployment, it's like you get off the escalator and you expect to get back on the escalator in the exact same place, but everyone's moved. And yes. so, so it's this kind of this duality of man, the world I just left, I don't want to go back to, but the world I came back to, I'm not sure what to do with. Yeah. Yeah. And it, it's so difficult. It's so difficult. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, that, I think that resonates for a lot of us and, mm -hmm. and a good reminder for I, all the people who don't know to, to take the time to, to talk to soldiers, you know, who are coming back because it's just so, it's such, it's such an important thing. Yes, it is. So take us, take us through that kind of that horrible day, you know, and, and tell Ben's story. And then I'd love to hear how you, I mean, I, I just can't even imagine. How do you get through that? Well, Ben, as I said, did two deployments to Iraq. And as the third one approached, he was aware that it was going to be different than the other two. Hmm. They were going to Afghanistan this time. And things were, they knew, they were warned were going to be, uh, they were going to see a lot more combat than he had um, prior to that. And he, Ben had um, trepidations about it. And he expressed that to myself, my mother, and just one or two other people, one or two of his close friends. The Rangers train for these deployments. You know, they train all year long to go on these deployments and to be able to um, uh, live out the missions, to do the work that they train to do. But in this case, Ben didn't have that sense of, you know, yeah, I'm ready, let's go get him. He, he had fears and he didn't want to go. Hmm. He didn't want to go. He, he said that he didn't want to go, but it wasn't ever a question of him not going. You know, right. he, he just knew that he was facing things that, going to be facing things that he never had before. And Ben would also never, ever, ever, ever turn his back on his brothers. Or his of course. Family. Yeah, Absolutely. of course. Absolutely not. So off he, off he went and it was right before, uh, right around Mother's Day, right after Mother's Day. He actually snuck home for one last visit over Mother's Day weekend. And he literally like, he was, he was not AWOL, but he was AWOL. Like his, you know, his right. security, they would, yeah. They didn't know he was gone, but you know. He didn't break the rule, but he, he probably bent it. He, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yes. <laughs> So I got to see him, um, you know, he had, he had had a three week leave prior to that. And then he came home about two weeks later for a long weekend. But anyway, um, two days after he left, he called me and said that uh, one of his buddies had been killed in Iraq. Mm. Uh, one of his ranger buddies who was in a different company, but uh, obviously because he was in Iraq and Ben was going to Afghanistan, but he had just this incredible, um, heaviness to his voice when he called me and I knew something was wrong. And he said, you know, my buddy McGee was killed. And I said, you know, I'm, I'm sorry to hear that Ben. And he said, uh, well now it's game on. And, uh, and so he, that fire got lit in his belly and he yeah. was ready to rock now because now he had some revenge. You know, he wanted, he wanted to avenge the death of his buddy, Ryan McGee. So, off he went um, to Afghanistan, and when they're deployed, you know, things, things are different now. If anybody's listening that has someone that's deployed, whether it's special operations or big army, this was 2009, so it was 10 years ago. Hmm. The 
communication was different then than it than it is now. So we weren't have we never had Skype conversations, <laughs> we never had texting. You know that was allowed overseas. Um, the the conversation that I had with him was very limited, and it probably happened maybe every three weeks or so. And so the um, Ben called me on July first, and he again had this heaviness to his voice. And he told me that things were as ugly and as bad as they projected them to be. Hmm. And, and he was, he was feeling uh, pretty down. He was feeling pretty down, but he had uh, read a book recently, was reading a book that was by um, a gentleman who was a ranger chaplain and also served in, in Somalia um, during the, the Mogadishu time. And uh, he was very touched by that. So he had some, some inspiration as well, but uh, um, he just was feeling down. I, I could I could feel it, and uh, we talked about what he was going to do when when he got home. And um, the last thing we said when we hung up was "I love you," hmm. and that was on July first. And then on July tenth, nine days later, I got a call that Ben had been shot, and that he'd been shot by a sniper. I was at work. It was about three o'clock on a Friday afternoon, and that he had undergone surgery but had yet to wake up. And they would call me again when they had more information. And that is the, you know, that definitely was the turning point in my life. Nothing that, that definitely was a dividing point and, and not just, you know, turn a page kind of a thing, a dividing point where a steel door dropped right in front of my nose and landed at the tips of my toes. And I've never been able to go back that same direction. It's right. just, absolutely not possible you have no choice when when a trauma like that happens everything becomes different uh, joe can i ask um how, how long did you have to wait before they called back not very long but it there was uh it wasn't a big update at that point it was it was maybe like two hours later when they called back what, what? Uh, i guess you know, like in the moments of that kind of, I mean, the scariest trauma in the world, right? Is yeah. trauma that's happening to someone that you care and love about unconditionally and have no control over. Yes. Um, and you're far away from a yeah. literally different part of the world. Yeah. Uh, what, what's the conversation that you're having with God in that moment? That I trust him. Oh, Wow hundred percent. And that, um, I don't normally choke up, but, um, my faith has grown in the dark in more times than not in my life. Hmm. And, and that was a really, and I, and I don't want to think of it as a, as a dark time to me, dark is like spooky, scary, dark. Um, I say dark because it's unknown. It's because you literally, um, the vision that I have is you're floating around in space, let's say, and you just, you have no navigation, no direction whatsoever. You just don't know where you are, where you're going, where you're going to land. And, and you have to fully, you're not you, I had to fully put my trust in God that everything was going to turn out okay. And, and that's a tough place to be. But for me, it was, a, it was, a, it was either that or completely freak out. <laughs> right. right. I'll take the freak out option, please. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. Completely freak out and, and uh, you know, be crazy, mad, upset, like, oh, my God, I need more information. What's happening? Blah, blah, blah. Or crying uncontrollably, like, blah, blah, blah. you know, like you see in the movies. Hmm. And, and I chose to take the, the faith route and say, God, I trust you. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep a cool head and a level head about this so I can accept the information that's going to come my way and, and understand it better and also be a stronger, better means of support for Ben. Um, in those in those moments. So, um, take us through the rest of the story. Oh, the rest of the story is that he he did undergo surgery uh, while he was in Afghanistan, and 
You know, the first question that I, that I asked when I was told he was, Ben was shot in the leg um, and that he had undergone surgery and was recovering is, did he lose his leg? Hmm. Was he going to lose his leg? Because at that time, again, go back 10 years, you know, the, the injuries of war where it was all limb loss. That's what we saw in the media. Right. Yeah. Coming back without limbs. And they said, yeah, his leg is fine. You know, the surgery went, went fine. Um, we just need him to wake up. Well, it came to be that he, he didn't wake up. When they went to turn the, the oxygen um, or the anesthesia down to wake him up, he didn't wake up. And he'd had a cardiac arrest during his recovery time. Mm. They were able to revive him, obviously, but it, that loss of oxygen, you know, had, a, had a, an effect on his recovery. He was stable enough to make it through Germany. They transported him to Germany for about 24 hours. They weren't sure if he was going to stay there or not, and it actually prepared me to go to Germany possibly, but they stabilized him enough to get him to Walter Reed. Uh, so four days after he was shot in Afghanistan, he, he landed at Walter Reed and my mother and I met him there and the, uh, he was not conscious. He had not, again, not regained consciousness since he went under for the surgery. Wow. Yeah. So the morning after he arrived, um, the doctor in charge of his care sat my mother and I down in a room and told us that they believed by manual testing that Ben was brain dead. Hmm. And that was by having no reaction to a light shining in his pupils and the uh, poking of the palm of the hand and the bottom of the foot and getting no reaction. Um, however, a very official test has to be administered to determine that there is, in fact, no blood flowing to the brain. And they said that that uh, piece of equipment was very cumbersome, not readily available, and Ben had to be stable in order to undergo the procedure for that. So what that did was bought me time. That bought me time to spend with Ben. And what I did is I, I used that time for people to continue praying for Ben and asking for miracles in his name. Yeah. I, I knew what Ben's fate was going to be at that moment. People don't recover from brain death. A brain, yeah. brain death is different than a coma. People wake up from comas. People don't wake up from brain death. Uh, however, I didn't have the official test results. And <coughs> excuse me. Um, I do believe in miracles. Yeah. Uh, well, you know, miracles can happen. Sure. They are there, and I'm not going to ask people to stop praying until I have 100% without question answer in front of me that my son is not going to survive. So for three days, three more days, I um, kept up the prayers. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, on uh, July 18th, eight days after Ben was shot, he was determined to be brain dead. Hmm. What that brain death did was enable Ben to become an organ donor. Yeah. And this has become a big part of your ministry now, hasn't it? Yes, it has. Tell us all about that because um, the mutual friend who introduced us, that's where he started with was about the incredible story of what Ben did and with, with his organs. Yes. Yes. So when the Rangers, um, prep for deployments, they fill out something called a blue book, which is their living will. Mm. It asks them all the questions that, that you might imagine would be asked in a will, in a living will, if you're sitting there filling this out, including um, what's to be done with your body, um, what you want at your funeral, you know, what type of flowers, music, pallbearers, location, burial, all, all those things. One of the questions that is asked is, in the event of your death, do you wish to be an organ donor? And Ben wrote in, yes. And the question following that asked, which ones? And Ben wrote in, any that are needed. Wow. Yeah. And so we had to, when, when that doctor sat with my mother and I on the day after his arrival to Walter Reed and our arrival, and told us they believed that he was brain dead, they asked me to consider organ donation. 
for Ben and I didn't hesitate. I didn't hesitate for one second because when I was 15, my 11 year old brother was hit by a car and killed. Hmm. He was an organ donor in, in 1982. Wow. And so I had carried this with me all these years. And that was uh, some, my brother donating his organs way back then was something that uh, brought comfort, solace, joy to me personally and my family, knowing that my brother lived on. It's a, it becomes a balance for your sorrow when you can think about the lives that were saved and enhanced because of your loved one and the decision that they made. Now, in my brother's case, he was 11. So the decision obviously was up to my parents and, and not up to my brother. But we had no, no question at all that had my brother been able to make that decision himself, he would have. Sure. Ben knew about my brother, of course. You know, of course, right. Growing up, and he knew that story. So that's why he wrote those answers in. He was aware of that, and that's why I didn't hesitate when they asked me. But Ben was 21. The decision was not mine. The decision was his had he made it known legally somewhere. So after the doctor asked that question, <coughs> we went in search of that, that blue book, and we found it. And so it was, um, it was comforting to know that he, he did make those wishes known. So Ben's care then, once it was determined that he was brain dead, his care in the hospital went from that of trying to save Ben's life to preparing his body to save other lives. Wow. It was, it was a huge change, a huge, huge change. Um, so as you can imagine, someone in Ben's condition is full of tubes and wires and cords. And sure. You know, it, it's, it's not, not pretty. And a lot of machines making a lot of noise in the room. And when his, his level of care changed to prepping his body to save other lives, a lot of those tubes and cords and wires were removed. And it was, a, it was a, actually a very beautiful transition. And it was a very noticeable transition. And mm. Ben's physical body, the way that it looked with him lying in, in his hospital bed, changed from you know, someone who looked to be very troubled if you will, and, and fearful, you know, just, you know, somebody in that, in, in not a peaceful state, you know, he's fighting. Right. He's, even though he's not conscious, he's fighting. And when that all changed, his whole coloring changed. He oh. got color back in his cheeks and he just looked like he was at peace. Did the, did the room feel different? Cause as I hear you describe it, it, it feels to me as if like, the Holy Spirit just kind of invaded that space in a completely different way. I never heard words used like that to describe it, but that is exactly what happened. That mm. is exactly what happened. He didn't even change rooms, but it felt like the room was completely transformed. Wow. Completely. Yeah, it was, it was amazing. So um, when the night that, um, the night after my mom and I arrived and we learned that Ben was brain dead, excuse me, I was in the hotel room with my mother and we were talking before we drifted off to sleep in the, you know, dark. And it all of a sudden dawned on me that um, I wasn't going to have Ben physically in my life anymore. And I said, um, mom, what am I going to do with all the love that I had mm. for Ben? And she shared four very profound words with me and said, you'll figure it out. <laughs> Thanks, mom. <laughs> um, yeah, that's what I thought at the time. I, you know, insert eye roll here, like, you know, thanks, mom. <laughs> but very profound, very powerful words. And speaking from experience. Yeah, and speaking from experience, exactly. Wow. And she told me in that moment that I needed to tell Ben that I was okay with him leaving. Mm. That he, he needed to know that I would be okay with him leaving. And so that, that next day, that next night before we said goodbye for the, for the night, I sat with Ben 
by myself and I told him that I was okay with him leaving. And I said that a lot of people had been praying for him and asking for miracles in his name. And I wanted him to know that I was okay with his decision to either keep those miracles and prayers for himself or give them away. He chose to give them away. And we got the first one um, came shining through, rolling through the doors rather quickly in that I waited until, you know, the day after late in the day of the 18th, when I knew without a doubt that Ben was brain dead to post a message on this caring bridge page that I had set up for Ben, you know, where you can update people and, and they can log in and see the updates. And I had, I had stated that, you know, Ben had been determined to be brain dead and was going to be removed from life support and would be donating his organs. Well, the next morning we were to meet in a, the hotel we were staying at with uh, somebody from the military regarding the death. And this person was late. They called very last minute and said that they were stuck in traffic and we had maybe 30, 45 minutes or so till she got there. So I went out to the hotel lobby and logged onto the computer and the CaringBridge site and started scrolling through the messages. Yeah. And there was a message from my cousin, Maria, my first cousin who lived in Chicago and offering a, a nice condolence message, sympathy to me. So sorry about, you know, learning the news about Ben, but thanks for uh, agreeing with his wish to be an organ donor because my friend Judy is waiting for a heart. And I went, what? Like, what? oh my God, ding, 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 ding. I felt like, you know, these neon lights went off and bells were, you know, whistles and bells were ringing. I was like, oh my gosh, I know somebody who needs a heart. Well, when the doctor sat down with my mom and my dad had come at that point too, and I in the room to determine, for me to decide which of Ben's organs to donate, they told us that we could, I could designate a recipient for any of his organs, so long as that person was on the official list. And we all oh, looked man. at him like, we, we don't know anybody. Do you know anybody? No, I don't know anyone. Do you know anybody? Okay, next. You know, we, we didn't even sink in. Obviously, it did later. That was, you know, a day and a half later. All of a sudden, I'm reading this message going, oh, my gosh, now I know somebody who knows somebody who needs a heart. So I go running back to this conference room and I, and my dad is in there waiting. And I said, dad, we need to call Maria because she has a friend who needs a heart. Let, let's okay. Okay. So we make a couple phone calls. We get our people in touch with her people and just leave it up to God. Right. Right. So we do this meeting, go on with the day later that afternoon, early evening, my dad and I, and a couple of the Rangers that served with Ben, including the one that escorted him from mm -hmm. Afghanistan, we're walking down the street to go have dinner and I get a call from Maria and I answer the phone and uh, she said, Jill, you're not going to believe this, but Judy and Ben are a match. Stop it. <laughs> and I went, what? Like, oh my gosh. And oh, I got all the feels right now. Yeah. Yeah. This is one where I, I get the feels too, even 10 years later. My dad, I, I, I froze. I couldn't move. I just, I couldn't walk. I couldn't, I just froze. And my dad said, what? I just said, it's Maria. And they're a match. And she said, my, my mother and her mother is a devout Catholic. Said, this is a true Catholic miracle. Yeah. This is not green lights all the way to work. You know, this is. <laughs> right, yeah. right. We just went big time here. <laughs> we just went big time here. I was like, oh my gosh. And so, as I mentioned, I, I froze and I couldn't, I couldn't walk. I was so overjoyed. Hmm. I was so overjoyed. Yet here I was facing the death of my only child. And then I was feeling this incredible amount of joy. And what I felt in that moment was that my feet were embedded in cement, that I couldn't move. But in the same moment, if I would have raised my arms to flap them like they were wings, yeah. I would have taken flight. Oh, wow. And, and I, so I, I believe that a miracle 
is having equal amounts of sorrow and joy at the same time. And I'm not talking an inch or two, I'm talking an ocean of each. And I was standing right in the middle of the two of them. It was a true, true miracle. That's incredible. What did, uh, what did his, his buddy, his ranger buddy say in the moment? I have no idea. (laughs) (laughs) I was was just, I was just curious what it must, what it must feel like. I, I just, had a moment where I was wondering, you know, like what, yeah. what a surreal moment for everyone else as well. It was, it, I, I know that we stood there stopped in, in time, like time just stopped around us in that, in that circle on the sidewalk. And I can, I can picture it actually was very sunny and bright outside and, and we all just stopped and, and we're in awe, but I don't remember the words that they shared. And I, I imagine in moments like that, words really aren't that important, are they? Yeah. No, no, they're not. So, so that, yeah, that was, um, that was miracle number one that, that came. And that was, you know, just a couple days before um, I left Washington and left Ben there. And then um, a lot of his organs ended up being used, didn't it? That was, that wasn't, that was the first of, of many miracles. That was the first, yes. And so his, that was his heart. So his heart went to a woman named Judy who lives in suburban Chicago. And uh, um, yeah, pretty, pretty amazing story. I still am, I have met her multiple times. I still am in contact with her. Yeah, I mean, it, what, uh, I heard a story about uh, yeah. a way that you met her that, uh, at, were you speaking at an organ donation event? Yeah, that was the first time we met her. The the very first time that I spoke publicly to an audience, eleven hundred people. Out of eleven hundred people, yeah. Because why not go big, right? I know, right? Typical yeah. ranger, right? <laughs> yeah, just like just like Ben, you know, go big or go home. You know, um, baptism by fire is what I like to say. Yeah. First public speech, eleven hundred people. Let's do it. Sure, why not? And I, but I spoke with Judy, Ben's heart recipient, and it was a national conference about organ donation. We were invited guests, obviously, and spoke together on stage. So it was pretty, pretty incredible. I uh, listen. I, <laughs> whew, <laughs> I get tired, teary. I just thinking about it. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. It, it has that effect on people. This uh, well, as it should. It's it's yeah. sacred and holy and good. Yes. Yes. So uh, um, that was his heart. Um, as I mentioned earlier, Ben made the, the wish writ in his handwriting, um, any of his organs that were needed. So all of his major organs, bone, skin, and tissue were donated. So that included his heart, kidneys, liver, and then uh, bone, skin, and tissue. Wow. So he, he saved six of his fellow rangers on that battlefield that cost him his life. So he has those six lives that he saved. And then he directly saved the people who received his heart, kidneys, and liver. Um, With the donation of bone, skin, and tissue, he enhanced the lives of about 55 more people. Wow. That's incredible. It it really is. It really is. How does that that change the way that you reframe one of the, you know, as you said, that steel door? Does it... What does it do in hindsight? Well, it, uh, it creates an opening in that steel door. It allows, it allows some light to come through. How, how's that impacted you in the last, uh, well, gosh, over a decade? Like, how's it, how's it changed things? I have the ability to immediately recognize selfless people. Hmm. Ben Ben was selfless in multiple ways. Um, twice a hero is is what I've heard him referred to as a hero in life, hero in death, and truly, you know, to serve your country and sign your name on the dotted line as as you did as well, Tony, to be uh, willing to give up your life. And and Ben was willing to give up his life and did. And then uh, as an organ donor, he also gave of himself to save other lives. And the beautiful thing about organ donation is you're saving lives of complete strangers. There's, there's no way. I mean, you, you just don't, you're not going to know who they are because you're no longer physically. <laughs> right. Right. A living donation is a different scenario because you know who that person is. And sure. often it's a family member or a friend in the event of your death, when you donate organs, you don't know who those people are going to be. 
And what I tell people is to sign on that dotted line or check that box to become an organ donor, you will become the answer to another family's prayers. Hmm. For me, as somebody who has a, a, a deep level of faith, the greatest gift, the greatest thing that I can share with people is to answer their prayers. And we don't always have the ability to do that because we don't have, we don't have the power, right? Right. To that, sure. In many ways, this is a guaranteed way. You are going to answer the prayers of people you don't know. It's a beautiful circle. It really is. Now you, you've kind of used all of this and, and it's become a platform for you in a lot of ways to share a message of hope and positivity and, and you wrote a, a book about it, right? The Heart of a Ranger. The Heart of a Ranger is a book that was written about Ben. Um, I didn't write it, but I collaborated with the <laughs> author and helped him helped him with it quite a bit. Yes. Yeah, yeah, and and I understand the need for the uh, the delineation, <laughs> but as you you had to live it, so that's for me as as far as I'm concerned, you wrote it, sister. So I, it's all good here, but. Uh, what do you find, how, how do you define your calling now as uh, a mom who's, who's sustained um, so much grief over an extended period of time, who's worked with soldiers and, and organ donation? I mean, like, that, it's a lot. How, how do you describe what God has called you to today? I, I believe that my life purpose was definitely created through Ben and because of Ben. And it was, it was given to me not because Ben died, but because he lived hmm. much as much as, you know, we, we are saved because Jesus died. I, I mean, because Jesus lived, not right. because he died. And, and I say the same thing about Ben. You know, I, I am who I am because Ben lived, not because he died. And I, I am the vessel that still stands here on earth on my two feet that gets to continue the mission. The baton has been handed off to me. I believe that we, we are still working together um, between that veil of heaven and earth. And it's my mission to honor not just Ben, but all of our fallen and all of the families of our fallen and all of the families of our military to educate people about organ donation and to, to share a message of hope and faith with people who face adversity in many different ways. Adversity wears a lot of faces. And I've, I've experienced a lot of loss in my life. That is my primary adversity, but it, it's come in different ways as well. I, I also um, lost my house four years ago to a fire. It was struck by, my house was struck by lightning and I pretty much lost everything. That wow. fire um, gave me, it, it, it released the tethers that were holding me down. It was the townhome, the home that Ben and I lived in together for 13 years. I was reluctant to leave, even though I wanted to leave. So in, in, in many ways, that fire became a blessing to me because I started traveling more. I've lived in two other states. Um, I'm, I'm in Minnesota now, but I know I'm going to be moving on because this nomadic spirit got lit in me. It was a blessing in disguise. What I've learned to do, Tony, is see the light in the dark. I've learned to find the blessings in things that normally would knock people off their tracks. And, and I said, nope, I'm, you know, you can knock me off, but I'm going to get right back on and I'm going to keep that engine going and, and just keep going because my mission isn't complete until God calls me home. So I'm not going to stop. I love that. I love that mentality. It's, it's a ranger mentality, actually. It's, <laughs> you know, I'm always place the mission first. I, I, that resonates. Um, I, I think that there are probably some people listening right now who, who understand what their calling is, but um, maybe they're having a bad day. And I'm, I'm, I can't imagine the number of bad days that you've had. Um, what do you do to pull yourself out of the, the bad days? Well, the first thing I do is, is I don't divide my days into days. I, I think of days as, as moments, as mm. many moments all, all bottled up into, into one. And so you won't hear me say that I've had a bad day. I, I view the bad moments as moments and know that this too shall pass. Um, I absolutely struggle 
there's there's no question you know I'm, i've said a lot of really positive hopeful things and i have a, a very strong faith but i i'm human you know i suffer right. from being human and i have emotions just like everybody else does i focus on on the haves and not the have-nots um, i focus on the fact that my son lived and not that he died um, that keeps his spirit alive i think of all that I have to be grateful for. And I, I just don't focus on the negative. I accentuate the positive as much as I can. And, and I learn to listen to my body. And, and that may sound funny, but not long after Ben died, I, I would just hit walls. Um, I, I would just become physically and emotionally exhausted, but I wanted to keep going because that's the kind of person that I always was. You know, I worked sure. a lot. I was, I was just go, go, go. Um, always very, um, I just had, you know, this endurance, obviously. And I didn't recognize when my body was telling me, hey, you need to rest. Hmm. You need to rest. And I would literally just like drop on the couch and pass out. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and then I would wake up and, and be rejuvenated and go, oh, okay, I just needed a nap. As silly as that sounds, your body knows. You know, grief yeah. is very physical. It's not just emotional, it's very physical. So listen to the signs that your body's telling you and rest. You know, rest. I heard um, a pastor um, in a sermon say not long ago that rest is power. And I, and I believe that, you know, when we're well rested mentally and physically, it does make us more capable of keeping those feet going one in front of the other. That's incredible. Love that. I love that. So one of the questions I like to ask all my guests uh, at the end of our podcast is if you could go back and give yourself one piece of advice and maybe, maybe we go back to uh, 11 year old Ben and you see him right there. What's what are you telling? Um, what are you telling yourself when he's eleven? What piece of advice would you like to go back and give yourself? Oh man, I thought you were going to ask me what would I tell Ben. That might be a little bit easier. But <laughs> <laughs> well, <laughs> right? No. Well, that might be a little easier. Yeah. Interested to hear that answer as well. But I'd be interested to hear what you tell yourself because your life has completely changed multiple times. It has. It Since has. that uh, that eleven year old boy said he wanted to be in the army. You know, I have um, this as a screensaver on my phone right now, and I very recently put it there. And I said, when I did that, I wished I would have put it there a long time ago. And it yeah. just says, "Trust in the Lord." Yeah. And it's it's Proverbs three, um, three through five, I think. Don't don't quote me on that. Um, yeah. Prop. Proverbs three, maybe five and six. Uh, it's Proverbs three, five. Got it. How about that? Proverbs, trust in the Lord. And that's what I would tell myself back then, because that's what I've done over and over and over again um, through Ben's life and through all of the adversities that I've faced um, since Ben made that transition 10 years ago is trusting that God is never going to let us down. He's never going to leave us. He, he's never going to leave us. He's always there with us. And he knows where he's taking us. You know, he's, um, he's the leader. He's the leader. And I, and I got to follow him and trust him. So if my listeners want to go and learn more about you and what you're doing and how you're sharing the love and positivity and, and your message, where can they go to find you? I have a website that is called IamJillStevenson.com. And it's the, the two words, I am, and then my name, J-I-L-L-S-T-E-P-H-E-N-S-O-N.com. I am well, Jill Yeah, we'll link to it in the, sh in the show notes. That's also where they can purchase your book, or the book, The Heart of the Ranger as well, and your, kind of your collaboration piece there if they want to follow you. And, uh, and you speak all around the country, don't you? I do. I do. I've been doing that for 10 years and it, I, I love doing it. I love meeting people. I love traveling. I love sharing my story. So if, if they, uh, if they're looking for someone to come uh, and talk about uh, some of the messages that you uh, so wonderfully uh, share, uh, I, I would strongly encourage them to talk to you. I, I don't think they'd be regretted in any sense of the word. So thank you. Jill, yeah, thank, like, you thank you so much. 
Oh, thank you. Thank you. I, I really appreciate you sharing your time with me and, and allowing me to come on and be a guest on your show, Tony. Well, um, uh, my heart for you and for Rangers and for uh, our fallen is uh, well, there aren't just aren't adequate words. So thank you for your service and thank you for Ben and raising such a good young man. You're welcome. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to today's episode. I hope you found it as meaningful and as humbling as I did. More than anything, I just want to say thank you to all the veterans out there, the people who have sacrificed so much, their families, all the people who made it possible. Um, It just resonates deep inside my heart, and I'm so thankful that we serve such a big God with so many incredible people who show unconditional love. As always, if this episode was helpful for you, I'd love to hear about it. You can hit me up on my website, www.twmilttwmilt.com, on Instagram, Twitter at TWMilt, or on Facebook, Reclamation Podcast with Tony Meltenberger. Thanks, guys. Can't wait to see you guys real soon.